Chapters 65 and 66 of Don Quixote, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Don Quixote, Volume 2 by Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra. Translated by William Ormsby. Chapter 65. Wherein is made known who the Knight of the White Moon was, likewise Don Gregorio's release, and other events. Don Antonio Moreno followed the Knight of the White Moon, and a number of boys followed him too, nay pursued him, until they had him fairly housed in a hostel in the heart of the city. Don Antonio, eager to make his acquaintance, entered also. A squire came out to meet him and remove his armor, and he shut himself into a lower room, still attended by Don Antonio, whose bread would not bake until he had found out who he was. He of the white moon, seeing then that the gentleman would not leave him, said, I know very well, senor, what you have come for. It is to find out who I am, and as there is no reason why I should conceal it from you, while my servant here is taking off my armor, I will tell you the true state of the case, without leaving out anything. You must know, senor, that I am called the bachelor Samson Carrasco. I am of the same village as Don Quixote of La Mancha, whose craze and folly make all of us who know him feel pity for him, and I am one of those who have felt it most, and persuaded that his chance of recovery lay in quiet and keeping at home and in his own house, I hit upon a device for keeping him there. Three months ago, therefore, I went out to meet him as a knight-errant, under the assumed name of the Knight of the Mirrors, intending to engage him in combat and overcome him without hurting him, making it the condition of our combat that the vanquished should be at the disposal of the victor. What I meant to demand of him, for I regarded him as vanquished already, was that he should return to his own village, and not leave it for a whole year, by which time he might be cured. But fate ordered it otherwise, for he vanquished me and unhorsed me, and so my plan failed. He went his way, and I came back conquered, covered with shame, and sorely bruised by my fall, which was a particularly dangerous one. But this did not quench my desire to meet him again and overcome him, as you have seen to-day. And as he is so scrupulous in his observance of the laws of knight-errantry, he will, no doubt, in order to keep his word, obey the injunction I have laid upon him. This, senor, is how the matter stands, and I have nothing more to tell you. I implore of you not to betray me or tell Don Quixote who I am, so that my honest endeavors may be successful, and that a man of excellent wits, were he only rid of the fooleries of chivalry, may get them back again. Oh, senor, said Don Antonio, may God forgive you the wrong you have done the whole world in trying to bring the most amusing madman in it back to his senses. Do you not see, senor, that the gain by Don Quixote's sanity can never equal the enjoyment his crazes give? but my belief is that all the senor bachelor's pains will be of no avail to bring a man so hopelessly cracked to his senses again, and if it were not uncharitable, I would say may Don Quixote never be cured, for by his recovery we lose not only his own drolleries, but his squire Sancho Panza's too, any one of which is enough to turn melancholy itself into merriment. However, I'll hold my peace and say nothing to him, and we'll see whether I am right in my suspicion that Signor Carrasco's efforts will be fruitless. The bachelor replied that at all events the affair promised well, and he hoped for a happy result from it, and putting his services at Don Antonio's commands, he took his leave of him, and having had his armor packed at once upon a mule, 
he rode away from the city the same day on the horse he rode to battle, and returned to his own country without meeting any adventure calling for record in this veracious history. Don Antonio reported to the viceroy what Carrasco told him, and the viceroy was not very well pleased to hear it, for with Don Quixote's retirement there was an end to the amusement of all who knew anything of his mad doings. Six days did Don Quixote keep his bed, dejected, melancholy, moody, and out of sorts, brooding over the unhappy event of his defeat. Sancho strove to comfort him, and among other things he said to him, Hold up your head, senor, and be of good cheer if you can, and give thanks to heaven that if you have had a tumble to the ground, you have not come off with a broken rib, and as you know that where they give they take, and that there are not always fletches where there are pegs, a fig for the doctor, for there is no need of him to cure this ailment. Let us go home, and give over going about in search of adventures in strange lands and places. Rightly looked at, it is I that am the greater loser, though it is your worship that has had the worse usage. With the government I gave up all wish to be a governor again, but I did not give up all longing to be a count, and that will never come to pass if your worship gives up becoming a king by renouncing the calling of chivalry, and so my hopes are going to turn into smoke. Peace, Sancho, said Don Quixote, thou seest my suspension and retirement is not to exceed a year. I shall soon return to my honored calling, and I shall not be at a loss for a kingdom to win and a county to bestow on thee. May God hear it and sin be deaf, said Sancho. I have always heard say that a good hope is better than a bad holding. As they were talking, Don Antonio came in looking extremely pleased and exclaiming, Reward me for my good news, Señor Don Quixote. Don Gregorio and the renegade who went for him have come ashore. Ashore, do I say? They are by this time in the viceroy's house, and will be here immediately. Don Quixote cheered up a little and said, Of a truth I am almost ready to say I should have been glad had it turned out just the other way, for it would have obliged me to cross over to Barbary, where by the might of my arm I should have restored to liberty not only Don Gregorio, but all the Christian captives there are in Barbary. But what am I saying, miserable being that I am? Am I not he that has been conquered? Am I not he that has been overthrown? Am I not he who must not take up arms for a year? Then what am I making professions for? What am I bragging about? When it is fitter for me to handle the distaff than the sword? No more of that, senor, said Sancho. Let the hen live, even though it be with her pip. Today for thee, and tomorrow for me. In these affairs of encounters and wax one must not mind them, for he that falls to-day may get up to-morrow, unless indeed he chooses to lie in bed, I mean gives way to weakness and does not pluck up fresh spirit for fresh battles. Let your worship get up now to receive Don Gregorio, for the household seems to be in a bustle, and no doubt he has come by this time. And so it proved, for as soon as Don Gregorio and the renegade had given the viceroy an account of the voyage out and home, Don Gregorio, eager to see Ana Felix, came with the renegade to Don Antonio's house. When they carried him away from Algiers, he was in woman's dress. On board the vessel, however, he exchanged it for that of a captive who escaped with him. But in whatever dress he might be, he looked like one to be loved and served and esteemed, for he was surpassingly well favored, and to judge by appearances, some seventeen or eighteen years of age. Ricote and his daughter came out to welcome him, the father with tears, the daughter with bashfulness. They did not embrace each other, for where there is deep love there will never be overmuch boldness. 
seen side by side, the comeliness of Don Gregorio and the beauty of Ana Felix were the admiration of all who were present. It was silence that spoke for the lovers at that moment, and their eyes were the tongues that declared their pure and happy feelings. The renegade explained the measures and means he had adopted to rescue Don Gregorio, and Don Gregorio at no great length, but in a few words which he showed that his intelligence was in advance of his years, described the peril and embarrassment he found himself in among the women with whom he had sojourned. To conclude, Ricote liberally recompensed and rewarded as well the renegade as the men who had rowed, and the renegade effected his readmission into the body of the church, and was reconciled with it, and from a rotten limb became by penance and repentance a clean and sound one. Two days later the viceroy discussed with Don Antonio the steps they should take to enable Ana Felix and her father to stay in Spain, for it seemed to them there could be no objection to a daughter who was so good a Christian, and a father to all appearance so well disposed, remaining there. Don Antonio offered to arrange the matter at the capital, whither he was compelled to go on some other business, hinting that many a difficult affair was settled there with the help of favor and bribes. Nay, said Ricote, who was present during the conversation, it will not do to rely upon favor or bribes, because with the great Don Bernardino de Velasco, Conde de Salazar, to whom his majesty has entrusted our expulsion, neither entreaties nor promises, bribes nor appeals to compassion, are of any use. For though it is true he mingles mercy with justice, still, seeing that the whole body of our nation is tainted and corrupt, he applies to it the cautery that burns rather than the salve that soothes, and thus, by prudence, sagacity, care, and the fear he inspires, he has borne on his mighty shoulders the weight of this great policy, and carried it into effect, all our schemes and plots, importunities and wiles, being ineffectual to blind his argus eyes, ever on the watch lest one of us should remain behind in concealment, and like a hidden root come in course of time to sprout and bear poisonous fruit in Spain, now cleansed and relieved of the fear in which our vast numbers kept it. Heroic resolve of the great Philip the Third, and unparalleled wisdom to have entrusted it to the said Don Bernardo de Velasco. At any rate, said Don Antonio, when I am there I will make all possible efforts, and let heaven do as pleases it best. Don Gregorio will come with me to relieve the anxiety which his parents must be suffering on account of his absence. Ana Felix will remain in my house with my wife, or in a monastery, and I know the viceroy will be glad that the worthy Bricote should stay with him until we see what terms I can make. The viceroy agreed to all that was proposed, but Don Gregorio, on learning what had passed, declared that he could not and would not on any account leave Ana Felix. However, as it was his purpose to go and see his parents and devise some way of returning for her, he fell in with the proposed arrangement. Ana Felix remained with Don Antonio's wife and Ricote in the viceroy's house. The day for Don Antonio's departure came, and two days later that for Don Quixote's and Sancho's, for Don Quixote's fall did not suffer him to take the road sooner. There were tears and sighs, swoonings and sobs, at the parting between Don Gregorio and Ana Felix. Ricote offered Don Gregorio a thousand crowns if he would have them, but he would not take any save five which Don Antonio lent him, and he promised to repay at the capital. So the two of them took their departure, and Don Quixote and Sancho afterwards, as has been already said, Don Quixote without his armor and in traveling gear, and Sancho on foot, Dapple being loaded with the armor. Chapter 66 Which treats of what he who reads will see, or what he who has read to him will hear. 
As he left Barcelona, Don Quixote turned gaze upon the spot where he had fallen. Here Troy was, said he. Here my ill luck, not my cowardice, robbed me of all the glory I had won. Here fortune made me the victim of her caprices. Here the luster of my achievements was dimmed. Here, in a word, fell my happiness never to rise again. Senor, said Sancho on hearing this, it is the part of brave hearts to be patient in adversity just as much as to be glad in prosperity. I judge by myself, for if when I was a governor I was glad, now that I am a squire and on foot I am not sad, and I have heard say that she whom commonly they call fortune is a drunken whimsical jade, and what is more, blind, and therefore neither sees what she does, nor knows whom she casts down or whom she sets up. Thou art a great philosopher, Sancho, said Don Quixote. Thou speakest very sensibly. I know not who taught thee, but I can tell thee there is no such thing as fortune in the world, nor does anything which takes place there, be it good or bad, come about by chance, but by the special preordination of heaven, and hence the common saying that each of us is the maker of his own fortune. I have been that of mine, but not with the proper amount of prudence, and my self-confidence has therefore made me pay dearly, for I ought to have reflected that Rocinante's feeble strength could not resist the mighty bulk of the knight of the white moon's horse. In a word, I ventured it, I did my best, I was overthrown, but though I lost my honor, I did not lose, nor can I lose, the virtue of keeping my word. When I was a knight-errant, daring and valiant, I supported my achievements by hand and deed, and now that I am a humble squire, I will support my words by keeping the promise I have given. Forward then, Sancho, my friend, let us go to keep the year of the Novitate in our own country, and in that seclusion we shall pick up fresh strength to return to the by-me-never-forgotten calling of arms. Senor, returned Sancho, traveling on foot is not such a pleasant thing that it makes me feel disposed or tempted to make long marches. Let us leave this armor hung up on some tree, instead of someone that has been hanged and then with me on Dapple's back and my feet off the ground, we will arrange the stages as your worship pleases to measure them out. But to suppose that I am going to travel on foot and make long ones is to suppose nonsense. Thou sayest well, Sancho, said Don Quixote. Let my armor be hung up for a trophy, and under it or round it we will carve on the trees what was inscribed on the trophy of Roland's armor. These let none move, who dareth not his might with Roland prove. That's the very thing, said Sancho, and if it was not that we should feel the want of Rocinante on the road, it would be as well to leave him hung up too. And yet I had rather not have either him or the armor hung up, said Don Quixote, that it may not be said, for good service a bad return. Your worship is right, said Sancho, for, as sensible people hold, the fault of the ass must not be laid on the pack-saddle, and, as in this affair the fault is your worship's, Punish yourself, and don't let your anger break out against the already battered and bloody armor, or the meekness of Rocinante, or the tenderness of my feet, trying to make them travel more than is reasonable. In converse of this sort the whole of that day went by, as did the four succeeding ones, without anything occurring to interrupt their journey, but on the fifth as they entered a village they found a great number of people at the door of an inn enjoying themselves, as it was a holiday. Upon Don Quixote's approach, a peasant called out, One of these two gentlemen who come here, and who don't know the parties, will tell us what we ought to do about our wager. That I will, certainly, said Don Quixote, and according to the rights of the case, if I can manage to understand it. Well, here it is, worthy sir, said the peasant. 
A man of this village who is so fat that he weighs twenty stone challenged another, a neighbor of his, who does not weigh more than nine, to run a race. The agreement was that they were to run a distance of a hundred paces with equal weights, and when the challenger was asked how the weights were to be equalized, he said that the other, as he weighed nine stone, should put eleven in iron on his back, and that in this way the twenty stone of the thin man would equal the twenty stone of the fat one. Not at all, exclaimed Sancho at once, before Don Quixote could answer. It's for me, that only a few days ago left off being a governor and a judge, as all the world knows, to settle these doubtful questions and give an opinion in disputes of all sorts. Answer in God's name, Sancho, my friend, said Don Quixote, for I am not fit to give crumbs to a cat, my wits are so confused and upset. With this permission, Sancho said to the peasants who stood clustered round him, waiting with open mouths for the decision to come from his, Brothers, what the fat man requires is not in reason, nor has it a shadow of justice in it, because if it be true, as they say, that the challenged may choose the weapons, the other has no right to choose such as will prevent and keep him from winning. My decision, therefore, is that the fat challenger prune, peel, thin, trim, and correct himself, and take eleven stone of his flesh off his body, here or there, as he pleases, and as suits him best. And being in this way reduced to nine stone weight, he will make himself equal and even with nine stone of his opponent, and they will be able to run on equal terms. By all that's good, said one of the peasants, as he heard Sancho's decision, but the gentleman has spoken like a saint, and given judgment like a canon. But I'll be bound the fat man won't part with an ounce of his flesh, not to say eleven stone. The best plan will be for them not to run, said another, so that neither the thin man break down under the weight, nor the fat one strip himself of his flesh. Let half the wager be spent in wine, and let's take these gentlemen to the tavern where there's the best, and over me be the cloak when it rains. I thank you, sirs, said Don Quixote, but I cannot stop for an instant, for sad thoughts and unhappy circumstances force me to seem discourteous and to travel apace. And spurring Rocinante he pushed on, leaving them wondering at what they had seen and heard, at his own strange figure and at the shrewdness of his servant, for such they took Sancho to be. And another of them observed, If the servant is so clever, what must the master be? I'll bet, if they are going to Salamanca to study, they'll come to the alcaldes of the court in a trice, for it's a mere joke, only to read and read and have interest and good luck, and before a man knows where he is, finds himself with a staff in his hand or a mitre on his head. That night master and man passed out in the fields in the open air, and the next day as they were pursuing their journey, they saw coming towards them a man on foot, with alforjas at the neck and a javelin or spiked staff in his hand, the very cut of a foot courier, who, as soon as he came close to Don Quixote, increased his pace and half running came up to him, and embracing his right thigh, for he could reach no higher, exclaimed with evident pleasure, O oh, Señor Don Quixote of La Mancha, what happiness it will be to the heart of my lord the duke, when he knows your worship is coming back to his castle, for he is still there with my lady the duchess. I do not recognize you, friend, said Don Quixote, nor do I know who you are, unless you tell me. I am Tosilos, my lord the duke's lackey, Señor Don Quixote, replied the courier, he who refused to fight your worship about marrying the daughter of Doña Rodriguez. God bless me, exclaimed Don Quixote, is it possible that you are the one whom mine enemies the enchanters changed into the lackey you speak of, in order to rob me of the honor of that battle? Nonsense, good sir, said the messenger. 
there was no enchantment or transformation at all. I entered the lists just as much lackey tosilos as I came out of them lackey tosilos. I thought to marry without fighting, for the girl had taken my fancy. But my scheme had a very different result, for as soon as your worship had left the castle, my lord the duke had a hundred strokes of the stick given me for having acted contrary to the orders he gave me before engaging in the combat. And the end of the whole affair is that the girl has become a nun, and Doña Rodriguez has gone back to Castile, and I am now on my way to Barcelona with a packet of letters for the viceroy, which my master is sending him. If your worship would like a drop, sound though warm, I have a gourd here full of the best, and some scraps of tranchant cheese that will serve as a provocative and wakener of your thirst, if so be it is asleep. I take the offer, said Sancho, no more compliments about it. Pour out, good Tosilos, in spite of all the enchanters in the Indies. Thou art indeed the greatest glutton in the world, Sancho, said Don Quixote, and the greatest booby on earth, not to be able to see that this courier is enchanted, and this Tosilos a sham one. Stop with him and take thy fill. I will go on slowly and wait for thee to come up with me. The lackey laughed, unsheathed his gourd, unwalleted his scraps, and taking out a small loaf of bread, he and Sancho seated themselves on the green grass, and in peace and good fellowship finished off the contents of the alforjas down to the bottom, so resolutely that they licked the wrapper of the letters, merely because it smelt of cheese. Said Tosilos to Sancho, Beyond a doubt, Sancho, my friend, this master of thine ought to be a madman. Ought, said Sancho, he owes no man anything. He pays for everything, particularly when the coin is madness. I see it plain enough, and I tell him so plain enough but what's the use, especially now that it is all over with him, for here he is beaten by the knight of the white moon. Tosilos begged him to explain what had happened him, but Sancho replied that it would not be good manners to leave his master waiting for him, and that some other day, if they met, there would be time enough for that. And then getting up, after shaking his doublet and brushing the crumbs out of his beard, he drove Dapple on before him, and bidding adieu to Tosilos, left him and rejoined his master, who was waiting for him under the shade of a tree. End of chapter 66